Part 3, Chapter 5 of Faces in the Fire and Other Fancies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alicia Messiah. Faces in the Fire and Other Fancies by Frank W. Borum. Part 3, Chapter 5. A Philosophy of Fancy Work "'What course of lectures are you attending now, ma'am?' said Martin Chuzzlewit's friend, turning again to Mrs. Jefferson Brick. "'The Philosophy of the Soul on Wednesdays,' replied Mrs. Brick. "'And on Mondays?' "'The Philosophy of Crime.' "'On Fridays?' "'The Philosophy of Vegetables.' "'You have forgotten Thursdays.' The philosophy of government, my dear, observed the third lady. No, said Mrs. Brick, that's Tuesdays. So it is, cried the lady. The philosophy of matter on Thursdays, of course. You see, Mr. Chuzzlewit, our ladies are fully employed, observed his friend. They were indeed, but for the time of me I cannot understand why, amidst so many philosophies, the philosophy of fancy work was so cruelly ignored. I should have thought it quite as suitable and profitable a study for Mrs. Jefferson Brick and her lady friends as some of the subjects to which they paid their attention. "'Whatever are you making now, dear?' asked a devoted husband of his spouse the other evening. "'Why, an antimacassar, George, to be sure. Can't you see?' And what on earth is the good of an antimacassar, I should like to know? Stupid man. Stupid man, indeed. But there it is. And for the crass stupidity of their husbands, Mrs. Jefferson Brick and her philosophical friends have only themselves to blame. If they had included the philosophy of fancy work in their syllabus of lectures, they might have acquired such a grasp of a great and vital subject that they would have been able to convince their husbands that there is nothing in the house quite so useful as an antimacassar. The pots and the pans, the chairs and the tables, are nowhere in comparison. The antimacassar is the one indispensable article in the establishment. Let no man attempt to deride or belittle it. As it is, however, Mrs. Jefferson Brick and her friends have never really studied the philosophy of fancy work, and have never therefore been in a position to enlighten the darkened minds of their benighted husbands. As an inevitable consequence, those husbands continue to regard the busy needles as an amiable frailty pertaining to the sex of their better halves. In writing thus, I am thinking of the better-tempered husbands. Husbands of the other variety regard fancy work as an unmitigated nuisance. Mark Rutherford has familiarized us with a husband who so regarded his wife's delicate traceries and ornamentations. I refer, of course, to Catherine Furze. We all remember Mrs. Furze's parlor at Eastthorpe. There was a sofa in the room, but it was horsehair with high ends both alike, not comfortable, 
which were covered with curious complications called antimacassars that slipped off directly they were touched so that anybody who leaned upon them was engaged continually in warfare with them picking them up from the floor or spreading them out again there was also an easy chair but it was not easy for it matched the sofa in horsehair and was so ingeniously contrived that directly a person placed himself in it it gently shot him forwards furthermore it had special antimacassars which were a work of art and mrs furze had worn mr furze off them he would ruin them she said if he put his head upon them so a windsor chair with a high back was always carried by mr furze into the parlor after dinner together with a common kitchen chair and on these he took his sunday nap the reader is made to feel that on these interesting occasions mr furze wished his wife and her antimacassars at the bottom of the deep blue sea and one rather admires his self-restraint in not explicitly saying so mr furze is the natural representative of all those husbands who see no rhyme or reason in fancy work if only mrs jefferson brick had included that phase of philosophy on her program and had passed on the illumination to some member of the sterner sex but let us indulge in no futile regrets that there is a philosophy of fancy work goes without saying to begin with think of the relief to the overstrung nerves and the overwrought emotions at the close of a trying day in being able to sit down in a cosy chair and when the eyes are too tired for reading to finger away at the needles and get on with the antimacassar our grandmothers went in for antimacassars instead of neurasthenia it is astonishing exclaimed the lady of the decoration how much bad temper one can knit into a garment an earlier generation of wonderfully wise women made that discovery and worked all their discontents and all their evil tempers and all these quivering nervousness into antimacassars on the whole it is cheaper than working them into drugs and doctor's bills and, and drugs and doctor's bills are certainly no more ornamental in his essay on tedium claudius clear deals with that particular form of tedium that arises from leaden hours and he thinks that in this respect women have an immense advantage over men men have to wait for things and they find the experience intolerable but a woman turns to her fancy work and is amused by her husband's uncontrollable impatience the antimacassar he believes gives just enough occupation to the fingers to make absolute tedium impossible the war has led to a remarkable revival of knitting and of fancy work my present theme was suggested to me on saturday i took my wife for a little excursion she took her knitting and we saw ladies working everywhere two were busy in the tram we came upon one sitting in a secluded spot in the bush her deft needles chasing each other merrily and on the river streamer eleven ladies out of fifteen had their fancy work with them i cannot help thinking that 
in not a few of these cases the workers must derive as much comfort from the occupation as the wearers will eventually derive from the garments many a woman has woven all her worries into her fancy work and has felt the greatest relief in consequence one such worker has borne witness to the consolation afforded her by her needles silent is the house i sit in the firelight and knit at my ball of soft gray wool two gray kittens gently pull pulling back my thoughts as well from that distant red-rimmed hell and hot tears the stitches blur as i knit a comforter comforter they call it yes such it is for my distress for it gives my restless hands blessed work god understands how we women yearn to be doing something ceaselessly anything but just to wait idly for a clicking gate we must however be perfectly honest and to deal honestly with our subject we must not ignore the classical example even though that example may not prove particularly attractive the classical example is of course madame defarge madame defarge was the wife of jacques defarge who kept the famous wine shop in a tale of two cities when first we are introduced to the wine shopkeeper and his wife three customers are entering the shop they pull off their hats to madame defarge she acknowledged their homage by bending her head and giving them a quick look then she glanced in a casual manner round the wine shop took up her knitting with great apparent calmness and repose of spirit and became absorbed in it everybody who is familiar with the story knows that here we have the stroke of the artist madame defarge be it noted took up her knitting with apparent calmness and repose of spirit and became absorbed in it as a matter of fact madame defarge was absorbed not in the knitting but in the conversation and all that she heard with her ears was knitted into the garment in her hands the knitting was a tell-tale register are you sure asked one of the wine shopkeepers accomplices one day are you sure that no embarrassment can arise from our manner of keeping the register without doubt it is safe for no one beyond ourselves can decipher it but shall we always be able to decipher it or i ought to say will she man returned defarge drawing himself up if madame my wife undertook to keep the register in her memory alone she would not lose a word of it not a syllable of it knitted in her own stitches and her own symbols it will always be as plain to her as the sun confide in madame defarge it would be easier for the weakest poltroon that lives to erase himself from existence than to erase one letter of his name or crimes from the knitted register of madame defarge oh those tell-tale needles up and down to and fro in and out they flashed and darted madame seeming all the time so preoccupied and inattentive yet into those innocent stitches there went the guilty secrets and when the secrets were revealed 
the lives and deaths of men hung in the balance. Here, then, is the philosophy of fancy work that will carry us in a very long way. The stitches are always a matter of life and of death, however innocent or trivial they may seem. Whether I do a row of stitches, or drive a row of nails, or write a row of words, I am a little older when I fasten the last stitch, or drive the last nail, or write the last word, than I was when I began. And what does that mean? It means that I have deliberately taken a fragment of my life and have woven it into my work. That is the terrific sanctity of the commonest toil. It is instinct with life. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And whenever I drive a nail, or write a syllable, or weave a stitch for another, I have laid down just so much of my life for his sake. But when we begin to exploit the possibilities of a philosophy of fancy work, we shall find our feet wandering into some very green pastures and beside some very still waters. Fancy work will lead us to think about friendship than which few themes are more attractive. For the loveliest idol of friendship is told in the phraseology of fancy work. And it came to pass that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, knitting, 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 up and down, to and fro, in and out, see the needles flash and dart. Every moment that I spend with my friend is a weaving of his life into mine, and of my life into his. And pity me, men and angels, if I entangle the strands of my life with the fabric that mars the pattern of my own. And pity me still more if the inferior texture of my life impairs the perfection and beauty of my friends. Into the sacred domain of our secret friendships, therefore, has this unpromising matter of fancy work conveyed us. But it must take us higher still. For there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and the web of my life will look strangely incomplete at the last unless the fabric of my soul be found knit and interwoven with the fair and radiant colors of his. End of part three, chapter five, recording by Alicia Messiah.